for your word. I thank you for how practical it is and what we can learn in the life of Abram. I pray that you will um, apply truth to our own hearts that we need to hear. In your name, amen. So a married couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, and at the party, everybody wanted to know uh, how they managed to stay married so long in this day and age. So the husband responded, well, when we first were married, I got a ringing going on. Okay. Um, When we first were married, we came to an agreement. I would make all the major decisions, and my wife would make all the minor decisions. And in 60 years of marriage, we've never needed to make a major decision. I like that one. Anyways. Well, I suspect everybody present today could tell some story about their family background that involves strife between family members. That's often related to material goods and possessions, but not always. Sadly, there are times uh, when these matters are actually brought into the courts and for some judge to make a decision about it, and that is a miserable testimony. Usually there's bitterness and estrangement from family members when these kinds of events end up happening. But what a great example we have from the life of Abram here in our lesson today. His focus was not on what was best for him or fair for him or what he deserved being the senior member of the family. Abram didn't know the New Testament verse from Romans 12:8, but he obeyed the principle nonetheless. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So we see in Abram a peacemaker who did not demand his own rights. In chapter 13 of Genesis, we read the story of a conflict between the herdsmen of Abram and herdsmen of Lot, both whom had a great deal of wealth. It's likely that Abram had shared his wealth with Lot, and, you know, he loved Lot very much. He raised him like a son. But now material possessions and money could destroy their relationship. But Abram is a man of faith, and so we learn here how a man of faith resolves conflicts. It seems that often we think of if we had a lot of wealth, our life would be much less difficult and much less challenging. However, most people do not handle having great wealth with all of its temptations, with all of its complications. But Abram was different, and he gives us a wonderful example of how to resolve conflict. So last week, we saw Abram uh, made some very man-centered decisions when he stepped out of the will of God and went down to Egypt during a famine. There he lied. He put his wife in a terrible compromising situation and ends up having a pagan godless king rebuke him for his deception. A very subdued Abram now goes back to, with his clan to Canaan where he is humbled before the Lord. He had doubted God being able to provide for him, but now he is wiser. He has apparently learned from his sinful choices. Aren't you thankful that God is a God of new beginnings? And it's not just about second chances. It's about 3,000 and 500,000 and on and on chances. He gives us so much opportunity time and again to repent, turn from our sin, and get things right with him and get back on track in obedience to the Lord. Just because we've uh, gotten things right with God, though, doesn't mean that now we're going to be free from new troubles or conflicts. Abram gives us a tremendous example of how to deal with conflict, with, particularly within a family, and it, but it re- applies to every conflict in a neighborhood, in a ministry setting, whatever. Everyone has conflicts, but the issue is how do we resolve them in a way 
that honors and pleases the Lord. So let's look at what Abram did and learn from his example. We read in verse 1, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So we read here about his return from Egypt and the great wealth that he had accumulated. He travels to Bethel, the place where he had first stopped when he entered the promised land and had made an altar and called upon the Lord there. And upon returning to Canaan, he was not only returning to the promised land, but he really was also returning to the Lord and being in a place of fellowship with him. He came to the altar and restored his fellowship. Uh, Bethel was a place where he had fellowship with God. I'm so grateful that as believers today, we don't have to make a pilgrimage. We don't have to go to a building or a place. We have 1 John 1, 9, <laughs> that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we cannot face difficulty and conflicts in this life in a godly way when we aren't in fellowship with the Lord. When we are out of fellowship, you know what happens. We're totally self-focused, self-centered. We view life through that lens. And that really is what ultimately fuels more conflicts. It's all about having things they need to go my way. Everybody has to see how I see it. Everybody has to do what I think is best. And I'm sure you know well from your own personal experience that fact. And when you don't deal immediately with your own selfish attitudes, you find, I speak from experience, you find that all people actually are kind of annoying, right? I mean, <laughs> when you're in that mode, everybody's wrong, whether they drove by you in the car or whatever. <laughs> Oh, yes, as one commentator said, the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. So we never know what a day is going to bring, nor when a conflict's going to arise that we didn't even see coming. And sometimes you find yourself in one which you didn't even, how did it come to me? I wasn't even involved, but there you are. And if our heart is not right, we are not prepared to face it. I remind you of Ephesians 6 that tells us we are to be dressed with the whole armor of God, and part of that armor is the breastplate of righteousness. That means walking in obedience, confessing our sins, and then when pressing problems come and difficult people come into your life, you can choose to respond like Abram did. <clears throat> so people who resolve conflicts also care about their testimony. In verse 5, now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now he mentions specifically, now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and yours, for we are brothers. In these verses, we see Abram wasn't the only one who came out of Egypt with a great deal of wealth. His nephew Lot had a great deal of uh, flocks and herds and tents. There was not enough pasture land available for, and water for all of them to be sustained. Things got so bad that there was strife now between the different herdsmen. Not only that, verse 7 specifically mentions the Perizzites and Canaanites. They were there first. They obviously had the first choice of land. And so Abram and Lot were left with what was left. And it was becoming difficult for food and uh, and food for their, and water for their herds. So Abraham addressed the problem in verse 8 with Lot. 
Abram's concerned because they're brothers. I mean, they're family. <clears throat> and he wants this resolved so they would not be a poor testimony to the Perizzites and the Canaanites in the land. There are lessons to be learned from Abram and how he handled the situation. He is more concerned about the testimony of God than protecting his rights. Abram understood that the heathen people of the land were watching, listening, what goes on between these uh, relatives. This is something we desperately need to remember, ladies, because every time we have a dispute with a fellow believer, it only hurts the testimony of the Lord. How often the name of Christ has been damaged by petty fights in, within church members, conflicts that have gone on sometimes for ages, people refusing to go to a church because of past strife, refusing to talk to people, sitting far away if they see them. And that's why the Bible forbids believers to sue believers in civil courts. What a testimony that is. And that's why Jesus said, you go to the altar to worship and you know there's something you've done or you're offended, put the offering down, go deal with it, get things right. You're in no place to worship God. Jesus made it clear that believers are to be unified for the sake of communicating his reality in this world, John 17, 20. And Paul stressed this in Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights of the world. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing. The issue becomes how willing then are we to give up something in order to not harm the name of Christ. Abram was willing to give up what rightfully belonged to him. The land, after all, had been promised to Abram, and we might expect him to hang on to what he has promised to him and tell Lot, you know what, you go find some place, you know, wherever it works for you. But as we've seen, Abram was in fellowship with the Lord. He's concerned about the testimony he would have to unbelievers around them, and that because of that, he did not assert his rights. He says in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Please, separate from me. If to the left, I'll go to the right. To the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the land of the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Well, Abram gave quite a selfless solution to the problem here. He offers Lot the first choice, and when in reality, as I said, the land had been promised to Abram by God. But instead of insisting, he insert his rights, assert, assert his rights, he graciously gave Lot the choice. Whatever you want, I'll do whatever you're not going to do. We also need to remember Abram was the older of the two. He was the head of the clan and had every right socially, especially in that culture, to claim the best land for himself and tell Lot what he should be doing. Lot should have actually refused this offer as a show of respect. And why did Abram do this? Because Abram trusted God he would meet his needs. And that has to be the key why we are gracious, why we don't insist on our own rights. Abram's confidence was not in the things he possessed, but in God. If your confidence is in God, then you're able to let go of those things that you possess. I always remember, I think it was Betsy Ten Boon, 
who said, you know, hold on to things loosely so God doesn't have to pry your fingers apart when he takes it. <laughs> Abraham had learned that. <laughs> he had learned from his past failures as, uh, of leaving God out of his plans and making decisions on his own, that that was not wise. So when this problem with Lot was obvious, he left the choice with God and trusted God to take care of his needs. And regardless of what Lot does, God is going to take care of him. We have such, uh, so much to learn here from this example. So what about you? Are you one who is willing to lay down your rights in order to resolve a conflict, in order to make peace? This is an example of doing something that maybe doesn't make much sense from a human perspective, and yet is a biblical absolute. In Philippians 2, our Savior left heaven, became a man, laid down his rights as God, and we follow his example. We're to lay down our perceived rights, which I mentioned perceived because we only think that we have rights, but that's a stretch. So we're to lay down our rights like Jesus, rejoice in his care, be forbearing to others, and pray and ask God to provide and trust him for our need. Abram demonstrates how a man of faith resolves conflicts, but he yielded his rights. He gives generously to others, even though it cost him personally. And we see this principle in scripture over and over again. You'd think Lot would have said, Uncle Abram, you're the head of the clan. Uh, you pick, you, you go wherever you want to go. But when he saw that plain and all that lush land and all that vegetation and those cities, hey, got some business opportunity, marketing going on, that's where he went. This is the area of Canaan near the Dead Sea, which today is anything but lush. <laughs> it's dry, hot, and very barren. This is the area God would destroy due to their great wickedness. But Lot made a choice. It was a selfish choice. It was a choice based on material wealth. But he would pay dearly for this choice. In verses 12 and 13, we read that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were inhabited by wicked people, exceedingly wicked people, who will have their influence on Lot and his family as time goes on. Though Lot was a believer, you would never know this by his behavior. Had we not learned from Second Peter, he was a righteous man, tormented by all that he saw around him. So Lot thought he was making a wise decision to benefit himself materially, and he lost what was most important, his spiritual walk and influence on his family. Because I remind you, we'll get to it soon, but... When he tried to get his family members to leave the city because judgment was imminent, they laughed at him. They didn't take him seriously. They thought it was a joke. Abram gave up his rights, and God showed him that he lost nothing because in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, west, for all the land which you see. I will give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved, moved his tent, came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So, verses 14 through 18, God once again affirmed to Abram that all this land, even what Lot had chosen for himself, was going to be given to him and his descendants. Lot walked by sight. Abram walked by faith. Lot's decision was self-focused. Abram's was unselfish as he looked to God to provide for his needs. And that really is the key to resolving conflict and being a peacemaker. So what about you? I don't know what conflicts you're involved in presently or in your past, 
But if you cling to what you believe are your rights and you have to keep your pride intact, then you are more like Lot than Abram. We need to learn from Abram so that we are people who resolve conflicts biblically. Make sure you are in fellowship with the Lord and not holding on to sinful attitudes. Care more about the name of Christ being harmed than you care about your own rights or making everyone sure that you know what's best. But be like Abram, willing to let your rights go so that you are a peacemaker. Our faith is to play a part in every conflict we find ourselves in. And like Abram, we need to learn not to be self-focused. And if we really believe scripture, like Matthew 6, then we will trust God to provide. He knows about the birds. He knows the hairs on your head. Um, And that will set us free from greed, from anxiety, and covetousness. So as we begin chapter 14, now we're going to see a totally different side to Abram that we haven't never seen before. As Moses is writing this, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, he's writing this for the nation of Israel to learn as a model. It's also relevant for us because these truths are for people of all time. Indeed, we see in this chapter, God is going to keep his promise to Abram to make him great and bless him. So now we see him as a warrior. I've decided I'm not going to read these 12 verses. What these kings' names, what's the point? Torture you, torture me. I'm going to hold up my hands for the numbers, okay? So you talk about having a hero. Seeing Uncle Abram as such a peacemaker, you know what? Does not mean he had no initiative to fight when there was an injustice done. He didn't let injustice go without being dealt with. He decided, uh, he didn't say in his mind, well, Lot, you know what? He deserves this. He should just get punished for what he did. I'll just let him suffer. Now, this chapter opens up by telling us about four eastern kings who invaded the Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. And the reason they invaded was because there were five kings, Sodom, Gomorrah, Zor, those guys, who had been in subjection for 12 years to the four kings. And year 13, they said, that's it. We're done. They rebelled against the four kings and went to war. So they each had their coalition, the four who had been dominating for 12 years. Now, year 13, the five say, that's enough. And they go to war, and the five are easily defeated. The route of the conquering kings was known in history. It was called the King's Highway in Numbers 20 and 21. So the battles described in this chapter are part of the first wars recorded for us in the scriptures. Though skeptics doubted the accuracy of the story, it is only in the last century and a half that cuneiform tablets were discovered that speak of ancient sites mentioned here, as well as Abram and other biblical characters. So archaeologists continue to find in their digs only truth that validates scripture. In this invasion of war, Abram's nephew Lot was taken captive along with all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food supply. They also took the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, their food supply, and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. The last we saw him, he's got his tent pitched that direction, but now he's in the city. Easier to do business, I'm sure, that way. Lot was a very worldly believer, and it appears that this was God's discipline to remind him he had no business living in Sodom, where his wealth had led him. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Word reaches Uncle Abram, who's living it by the Oaks of Mamre. Now, he has uh, Amorites and other sheiks that he has made an alliance with, different groups of clans. 
and they have come to they have agreed to come together should there be a threat and the time had arrived we notice in this verse that we've seen that Abram was called the Hebrew. This is the first occurrence in the Bible of this word. One author means, said it means outsider or pilgrim or stranger. And as we think about this very real war that involved a major invasion from one area of the world by soldiers in another area, we see the role of this godly man in that struggle. The whole matter of pacifism has long been a debate amongst believers through the years. Jesus certainly taught that we are to be peacemakers. But we see in the man, Abram, that he did fight and was prepared to, if necessary. He certainly had been the most peaceful of nomads, and yet he had trained the men in his clan in the art of guerrilla warfare, self-defense. And that is why, he, if he had needed them, he was able to call 318 that had been trained. And it was maybe questioned if he was acting in the will of God when entering into this war to rescue Lot. But the answer to that question is seen in next week in our lesson when Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, greets Abram and blesses him and says, Blessed be God, Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. There's no rebuke. This is God doing his work through you. Abram had done the right thing and gone after Lot, and God is the one who gave the victory. Abram gathers his 318 trained men with the other sheiks, and they all attack these four eastern kings from four different directions. They pursued them a long distance beyond Damascus, which was 120 miles. So it was a surprise attack by night. The kings couldn't tell how many people were attacking them, nor would they have thought such a small army would even dare to attack them. No doubt they couldn't even figure out who this enemy was. They had just defeated you know, this huge coalition of kings. But in the confusion, Abram completely defeats his foes and pursues them, recovering all the goods and all the prisoners of war. No doubt Abram learned that day what his future descendants, Gideon, would learn in the future. In Judges 6, And when God gives a victory, remember Gideon had thousands of men in his, Abram, in, in his uh, army, and then God said, I want you to go to the stream with your men, and the men who lap the water and are looking around to make sure no harm is there, take them, 300 men. And God gave the victory. Both Abram and Gideon, with a very small band of men, fell upon their enemies by night, and the Lord made them victorious. So Lot and his loved ones and possessions, along with many others, are rescued and returned safely home. How glad Lot must have been to see his uncle Abram that night. We read in verse 16, he brought back all the goods, also brought back his relative Lot with all his possessions, and also the women and the people. So Abram was everybody's hero. When we do what's right and obey the Lord, he does give victory. So some lessons from this story we've looked at today. Abram's character is so loving and kind towards his nephew, Lot. Lot was selfish to his uncle, and yet Abram was willing to risk his life to save Lot. Abram could have responded like I think many of us would have done. Good. Gets what he deserves. He was disrespectful. He's a fool. God is finally dealing with him. Let, let him suffer. Abram shows, though, love and compassion, the kind we should have towards all people, especially our brethren. Even if they set themselves up for trouble by their own foolish choices, there should be a gracious response and concern. How many of us have made similar poor choices and put ourselves in a situation where temptation to sin is even greater because we have pitched our tents towards Sodom, allowed ourselves to be in more dangerous ground because of our foolish choices? So, 
Are you like Abram? Or do you, do you delight in doing things or in people when things go badly for them because they mistreated you? Let's keep in mind the Jewish people reading this account because they're about to enter the land of Canaan and they were going to have to fight with the Canaanites. They needed to learn from this incident. God's the one who gives the victory. It doesn't matter about the numbers. Another thought, as believers, we are called to be warriors, not against Canaanites, but against, we have our flesh. That's a big war zone. <clears throat> and our enemy, Satan. And the issue is, are you dressed for battle today? Did you even think about it when you got up and got ready today? Ephesians 6 said, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is godly, obedient behavior. And we had the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, you know, the only weapon we have for attacks is the word of God. If you don't have verses in your head memorized for the specific trials God sends your way, you're going to be floundering. You have no offense. We're reminded in 2 Timothy 2.3 that we are to be like Roman soldiers with single-minded purpose, and that is to please our commander. We are soldiers in a spiritual battle, and our commander is Jesus. There must be a submission to his word if there's going to be any spiritual victory. Our life is to be characterized by putting off the old man with its sinful behavior and putting on the new man who lives according to what God commands us to do. We must be, we have a very real enemy. And you know what? He loves to whisper lies to you. He loves to whisper lies that you're justified in your sinful anger. You're justified to hold that grudge against that person after all, it's their fault because you would never have this reaction if they didn't do that to you. It's somebody else's fault that I'm in this situation. Our thoughts need to line up with Scripture. Our feelings must not be allowed to dictate our thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 3-5 reminds us we are to bring every thought captive to Christ. Let's face it, you all know it. The war zone is in our minds. That is where we need to bring every thought captive. You have to battle. You have to fight. And you know these thoughts aren't right. You have to have scripture to replace. You've got to be prepared. We may not have a rich uncle to rescue us when we find ourselves in trouble, but we have a far greater one to help us, who promises to be our refuge and our strength and our stronghold. I love Psalm 59, verse 16. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the example that we have in Abram, a man who was a peacemaker, a man who laid down his rights, a man who resolve conflicts in a way that would honor you. I pray that we would be women of God who learn from his example and our primary example of you, Jesus, who lay down your rights to provide salvation for all who would call upon you. I pray that you would help us to leave here determined to resolve conflicts if they're not resolved, determined to forgive if things keep cropping up in our brain, Lord, that we would be women of God, that we would be dressed every day for the battle that we face. Protect each one as we go our way now. In Jesus' name, amen.